Views and opinions expressed on this program are those solely of its speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of WMUA, its management board, or the board of trustees of the University of Massachusetts. So, how are you? Good morning. <laughs> good, good morning. Or afternoon. Good afternoon. Or good for afternoon. Me, yeah. Um, I'm good. How are you? Um, I'm good. I just woke up like an hour ago. Kind of tired. Been out for what a time while. is it there? It is four o'clock. Um, it's four o'clock. So, I mean, I'm- Archibald or Archie Bryden is in Paris right now as he made his way back to the United States to finish his senior year at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, his student visa was canceled and was forced to turn back. This is what happened. So, um, my name's Archie Bryden. I'm, uh, I'm a senior now at UMass. I'm a journalism major. I'm originally from London. I grew up in West London until I was 15 years old when I moved to New York City. I went to high school um, in, in the city, in Manhattan, and then went on. So Archie has been living in the United States for the last couple of years. His family moved back to Edinburgh, where his parents are originally from, around the time he started at UMass. Since then, he has traveled back and forth from the United Kingdom to the US multiple times a year. The date in question is August 4th, 2020. At this point in time, he has been in the UK for months. Like many other students, Archie left for spring break in March and didn't go back as classes transitioned online because of COVID-19. As the new school year approaches, he intends to make his usual trip back to campus. Although all his classes are remote, it's his senior year. He already has an off-campus house lined up with some of his rugby buddies and with an active student visa, he wants to finish his last year of college in Amherst. This was the plan in theory. Um, so I was flying from Edinburgh to Boston, um, but I had a connection in Dublin uh, with Erlingus who, um, Dublin's kind of like a hub for all connecting flights from Europe to the US, and therefore they have a, a US immigration pre-clearance in Dublin, so they check your, your passport or your visa or your green card or whatever you're traveling on. They get all of that done in Dublin. Um, and then you disembark on in Boston or wherever else you're landing um, and you've already done immigration. And I'd done that a number of times. That was the kind of stock journey. Um, that was the cheapest and easiest way of getting from um, from UMass to, to Edinburgh. Normally I flew from Hartford or to Hartford either way. Um, but it was closed because of COVID, so I was going to Boston instead. Um, but I I made it to Dublin, but I didn't make it any further. Um, I was, yeah, at, at immigration. Um, I, I was stopped, basically, broadly speaking. Um, I, so yeah, I approached, I approached the first desk, the desk that, is normally the only desk, I suppose, um, the standard immigration desk. 
and he checked my passport, my visa, um, my I-20, which is a necessary document when traveling on a student visa, and it just explains your addresses, your finances, um, who you are, and it, your official numbers and accounts and things that you need um, to enter, so you always have to travel with that on you. So I had that, and he ticked it off and stamped it, and everything was good. But he just explained that given um, COVID, they were double-checking everybody. Um, and I still, he said I still had over 90 minutes until my flight, and everything was in, in order, um, and I should still have plenty of time um, to, make, to make my connecting flight. He's led into a small waiting room for further processing. Archie describes it as being packed and boiling hot. There are signs on the seats saying to leave them empty for social distancing, but Archie recalls there having been way too many people for any social distancing to take place properly. People are wearing masks, but the proximity of everyone to each other felt weird after such a long period of social distancing. But slowly, people's names came and went, and the time ticked by, um, and the flight to Boston was the last of the day. There were three or four that were leaving in that time, and even though it was only about midday, um, my flight to Boston was the last. So slowly, people came and went, and there were a few other on the Boston flight, um, and it ticked by and ticked by and ticked by. And then, um, finally, my name was called. And at this point, on the there was a departures board in the waiting room, and they the the departures board had the Boston flight listed as final call for all boarding. So I was pretty stressed out at this point at the prospect of missing um, a transatlantic flight when I'd just been sitting there doing nothing when I'd already had all the paperwork um, checked and stamped and whatnot by that point. But anyway, so eventually I approached I approached the desk and. Um, explained who I was and she looked at my paperwork already and she asked me why I wanted to return to the US and I basically summed up what I've already told you that it was my final year that um, I was paying rent for an off-campus house that um, with the time difference as well um, attending classes in the in Europe in the UK um, would be more difficult and um, and yeah, that was, but she didn't believe me. She basically said that none of those seemed like sufficient enough reasons. Um, and she kept kind of pressing what was the real, what was my real motive um, for coming back. And I reiterated again what I've already said, um, but she wasn't having it. And she um, basically, she was accusing me of working, of having a job in the US under the table. Um, and doing or having some sort of illegal income in the US and that's the only reason I could I could want to return. I denied this, I again reiterated what I've already said and um, then she kind of moved on at that stage. She was saying, oh, you know, do you have a significant other? Um, who, you know, is there somebody waiting for you there? And I said, no, there's no one in particular. Um, it's my final year. I've lived there for, as I say, approaching seven years now. And um, I, I want to spend my final year in the US, as I am legally allowed to do, uh, on an active student visa, regardless of the fact that classes were, um, my classes were remote. And at this point, at the 4th of August, UMass had not yet moved fully remote. It was still um, 
a hybrid model and everything was being offered remotely but the big swooping um kind of campuses closed unless you really have to be here had not come into action yet um so I showed her, I showed her all of the classes I was enrolled in. She looked at them all and she checked them and she checked the credits and saw I was an active full-time student and emails from the IPO and everything. Um, and I showed her all of this. Um, and then basically she said I had two options. Either I could, um, I she, she wanted to search my phone, basically. And I denied this. Well, I didn't deny it. I I argued it at first. I didn't see why it was necessary. My flight was now, the departure time was there. Um, so I said, I don't see why you need to search it. And she said she wanted to search it for evidence of um, off-campus employment. She wanted to search and see if there was another source of income. Um, and I, I, I argued this entirely because I didn't want to waste any more time talking to this woman And when that was the last flight of the day. I had no nowhere to stay in Dublin. I couldn't stay in the airport for the night. Uh, and I wanted to make the flight. And I expressed this to her. And she said either I could agree to have my phone searched and she would hold the flight for me and I could fly today. Or I could deny it um, and she'd end up searching it anyway and the saga would be drawn out for days. So, of course, I, it was a no-brainer. I had nothing... I had nothing to hide. I'd never done what she was accusing me of. I'd never worked under the table. I had no illegal source of income. I, um, I There was a maximum of 20 hours a week you're allowed to work on a student visa. I'd never exceeded that. So in my mind, I had absolutely nothing to hide. And um, the only reservation I had was wasting more time. But as she said, she was going to hold the flight. So I handed her the phone. And uh, she began swiping away and I stood there waiting for my exoneration. He hands over his phone and another officer hands him a slip explaining the searching of electronic devices. This is when he realizes how extensive this search would be. But in his mind, he had nothing to hide as he didn't do what he was being accused of. Um, and you know, time ticked by, time ticked by, they updated, um, on the departures board, they updated my flight time, uh, to 25 minutes after the original, the original scheduled time. And, um, then she asked me if I'd ever smoked marijuana. And, um, I was suddenly scared. Um, I, I, I admitted to having done so in the past. Um, I I knew immediately that there would be, if she was searching extensively through the, you know, every app on my phone, I knew that there would be um, photos and texts dating back to Lord knows when of me, of me smoking um, in the US. So I admitted that I had done in the past um, and she just kind of took this in her stride and I thought, um, you know, not ideal, but um, it's not the end of the world and that won't be enough and that's not what she's that's not what she's looking for uh, and then more time take by more time take by and suddenly the 25 minutes were up or, I mean I say suddenly it was probably the slowest 25 minutes of my life um, and it was just one of these situations that felt very surreal um, and all the while I was just being told to wait to wait to wait to wait and then eventually um, she explained that she'd found 
video and photo evidence of me smoking and drinking at US parties, um, dating back from my most recent stay in the US to 2015 when I was at high school in New York. And I said, I, I, I know, but that's not what you told me you were looking for. I've, I was honest with you, I admitted to this, but that's not what you told me you were looking for. And she said, and I, I quote, she said, if it was child pornography, would you have expected me to overlook it? And I could barely believe it. Um, but that was, that was her, that was her um, kind of mindset, I guess. That was her justification for it. He's led into an interrogation room to get photographed and fingerprinted, then is led back to the waiting room as the officer fills out some paperwork and then to another interrogation room again. The officer explains that lying under oath is a felony and those found guilty of perjury face up to five years in a US prison. Archie then asks if his telling the truth can result in him being charged criminally or if it would only affect his immigration processing. The officer says that it would only affect his immigration processing and that the only criminal charges that could be brought onto him was if he perjured. She asked me all sorts of questions um, about my time in New York, about my time in Amherst. Um, eventually she got on to drugs and kind of where, when, what, how, um, from where, at what price, at what frequency, everything. Um, and she typed and typed and typed, um, entering, you know, far more words than I thought I'd answered. I answered one word one word answers and she just typed for ages and ages and end. He sees time pass by the number of guards that gather at the door to watch everything unfold, as they themselves didn't have much work to do as the day draws to a close. At this point, Archie is kind of in disbelief at everything that is happening. Eventually the questions stop and Archie asks the immigration officer a question. I basically asked, did she think she'd been fair? Um, and she said yes, very confidently. Um, she said that she prided herself on her fairness and staying within, within the kind of uh, the realm of the law. Um, so then I asked her, did she think she'd been good? Like, did she think she'd helped? Um, she said that that was a moral question, and that wasn't her job. Um, and I kind of, I took this in the moment. I was like, fine, fair enough. Thank you for answering the first one. Um, but the more I've thought about it, the more I think that it's very telling that, um, that she could, that she answered it the way she did. I, I, I have, in many ways, despite the events of the last few weeks, I have a lot of sympathy for immigration officers. I think it's probably a incredibly difficult job. And I, I understand what she means that it can't be dictated by um, opinion or emotion or um, individual discretion as such. There's a set of rules and they need to stick to them. But I also think eliminating morality from a job that is so intertwined with people's lives, I don't see how that helps anybody. And I think that... Um, I think that the reason it caught me so off guard was that I'd never been in a situation before where somebody would go searching for an issue that was not there. 
initially on the surface there was no reason for her to um trawl through my history as extensively as she did and i suppose that's what i meant by do you think you've been fair because i did feel hard done by um but i i think one of the most interesting things that i found upon reflection is that that that's really the first time that in in my experience personally that somebody had gone searching for an issue that isn't there and just in the broader um political context and the ways that we see privilege and conversely racism manifest itself in a in a contemporary society i think it was a wake up call for me obviously i was aware that these things exist but i now realize if i'd if i'd been um if i'd looked different or sounded different to how i normally do if i'd been a an international student not from a british private school and then new york but from um a different a different background then i'm sure this seemingly random um extensive search of my phone and my past would have come up long beforehand and it it just so happened that it took covid and um stricter stricter immigration rules for it to happen but um it was it was a, certainly a wake up call um for me in that regard and just seeing how um i i'm i'm sure people at the us border suffer the same thing every day i mean i was well rested i'd been on a 1 hour flight but you know i wasn't jet lagged it was in a in an airport that i know well in my first language um and even then before my eyes i kind of saw um my past get twisted before me i saw what i'd always deemed at times perhaps somewhat excessive but basically innocuous i smoked a bit of weed and i saw that twisted into you know you've got a drug problem the use of illegal narcotics on the us property knowingly breaking us federal and massachusetts state laws and just before my eyes i saw i saw myself agreeing to firstly something i didn't understand and then seeing how that was twisted and even then i didn't at any point until she eventually explained that my visa was cancelled and i'd been denied entry but until that point i didn't um i didn't understand what was happening and i'm sure there are you know thousands and thousands of people who not only do they not um you know they're not as comfortable in the situation or as well prepared for the situation as i was but it all happens before them and they can barely understand it and they find themselves agreeing to something or consenting to something um that they think they have to do when in reality um it's they're trying it's a stitch up and they're trying to uh, they're looking for any evidence whatsoever to turn somebody down and um that was a bit of a wake up call for me um but yeah to to sum it up i mean i eventually after she finished typing up the report she handed it over to me um i signed it and agreed basically um still not really realizing what the end result was um but like i mentioned she then said um my visa was cancelled um i had knowingly broken federal law which was grounds to cancel the visa i'd also the the drug the use of illegal narcotics dated back to high school so i had 
lied when filling out my visa application for university. Um, and because I'd been denied entry, I would never be eligible for um, an ESTA ever again, which is basically um, what allows you to visit the US um, as a tourist. It's just kind of a way of entering the US without going through the extensive uh, visa application process. But one of the three or four required questions to get an ESTA is, have you ever been denied entry? And now for the rest of my life, the answer will be yes. Um, I still can get a visa, it's more difficult to do, and I'll need to go and basically prove I don't have a substance abuse issue at the embassy in London. And I'm also lucky enough that um, that, that was not the be-all or end-all for me. I'm, I was able to return home to a, to a welcoming family who um, were incredibly understanding and even now, given given the fact classes were fully remote beforehand, I've been able to remain a full-time student. And normally, in any other year, if my visa was cancelled and I was denied entry, then the university would have had to revoke it. But they've been incredibly helpful, equally understanding. Um, and my life is as... It's not remotely the way I imagined this year would go. And um, it is something that is going to you know, have long-term repercussions for me as well, just when I when I want to re-enter the US. I, I lived there for, as I say, seven years, and it's been a massive part of my life, and it's, um, I, I've made friends there and kind of set a foundation there that I, you know, even if I didn't plan on living there after university, I still, I still hope to um, spend a lot of time in the United States. I, I, I love I love being there and I I love that um I was able to to experience all that I did when I when I did live there. After the events at the airport, Archie returned to Edinburgh. He reached out to the international programs office at UMass to notify them about what happened. They offered him whatever resources he needed as well as sponsoring him should he choose to apply for another visa. Archie currently resides in his grandparents' apartment in Paris. He is still attending class remotely online as a full-time student. He is considering returning to Amherst in the spring, if not with a student visa, then with a visitor visa. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to say? Um, no, I, I think I'm all good. Maybe just to re-emphasize um, how lucky I am and how lucky I do feel to have experienced the time I did get in the US. Um, and how lucky I am that it hasn't been life-alteringly bad, but I think it probably happens to people every day, and they don't they don't land on their feet, and they don't they don't have the same options um, after something catastrophic happening as I've had. For WMUA News, I'm Bonnie Chen. This program's music is provided by Martin DeBoer and Dream Heaven.